coming up next on Contemplate. That's why we spend time in God's Word. That's why we spend time in prayer. We spend time getting to know Jesus so that we too can act like Jesus and be like Jesus, just like Peter and John were. Welcome to another Contemplate episode brought to you by Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Pastor David Robinson is our teacher, and today begins to show us the response of the Jewish leaders to Peter's boldness in the Holy Spirit. There's simply no denying the power of God. Turn in your Bible to Acts 4, verse 13, and here's Pastor David. So let's recap. We're in Acts. We've been in Acts for a while. Last week, uh, we talked about Peter and John in front of the Sanhedrin, but I'm going to back up a little bit further and kind of just go through the story because Acts is a story. The really cool thing about Acts is it's a story that's continuing. Literally, you sitting in the seats you're sitting in in the church today is is a continuation of the story of the book of Acts because it's about the beginning of the church. And so as the church continues, you continue to be part of the continuing book of Acts, okay? And so here's the part of the story that we're in. Peter and John, after the Holy Spirit had come and, and, and done a miracle, basically, and these people spoke in different languages and the, and the church grew, Peter and John are going to, to worship at one of the worship services of the two sacrificial worship services that they did in the temple uh, during the day. And they come and they see this guy who's been lame since birth, and Peter feels compelled by the Holy Spirit to tell the guy to get up and walk which this guy does. And Peter says, hey, this is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He gets up and he walks. All the people are around and they kind of surround Peter and John. And Peter gets this opportunity to give a sermon to the people. The leaders and the rulers, they did not like the fact that he was talking about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And so they arrested him. They arrested Peter and John. They put him in jail. Last week, we we heard about when they brought them out. The Sanhedrin was a 71-member body that was basically like the Supreme Court, the president, the Congress, the really, you know, the faculty of MIT and Harvard. These were the most educated guys, the smartest guys, the most powerful guys in the, in, among the Jewish people. And there were 71 of those guys, and there were two fishermen standing in the middle of the semicircle defending themselves. And we heard how Peter basically tells the Sanhedrin, hey, listen, Jesus is God. He's, he's the Messiah. You crucified him. He rose again. And the miracle that you saw with this lame man who's, who walks, who's now walking, is in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Okay? And so that's where we pick up. He's just, Peter's just told them that there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. Okay? This is not something they like. And let's not forget in context of this story, because it's a, it's a big and long story. These are the guys that had asked for the crucifixion of Jesus. They don't like Jesus. So when Peter and John come and say, Jesus is the only way, he's the cornerstone that you rejected that is in fact the one thing that makes sense about the whole Old Testament that you say you know about the whole universe, these guys don't like that. So let's see how they react. Let's go to verse 13 in chapter 4. That's where we are if you have your Bible or your mobile device or it will be up here on the screen. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John... And perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Okay, these guys are uneducated, untrained men. 
As I said, the people in the Sanhedrin were very, very educated. They were the most educated men. These people had been studying and learning since they were very small. Probably every one of them would have had at least the first five books of the Bible memorized and maybe a whole lot more of the Old Testament than that. Okay, but not only did they memorize it, but they had studied under one another and kind of discipled each other in the law, in the Jewish law, in their traditions. These were very, very educated people. Okay, and yet they're marveling. It says they marveled at Peter and John, who were, as I've told you, fishermen. Okay, and not that there's anything wrong with being a fisherman, but you're not as likely to have gotten multiple advanced doctorates as a fisherman like these guys had. So it w- it's an interesting thing that they see this boldness and they marvel at Peter and John recognizing that they're not educated. Now, I like education. Okay, I think education is important. I believe that we and our children should become as educated as is reasonable considering the gifts that God's given you and what he's called you to do. I absolutely believe that. If the Lord has called you to be educated, you should get educated. Whatever the Lord calls you to do, you should do. And we should be interested in learning, and that's what we're doing right now. We're becoming educated as we study Scripture together. We're becoming educated about the Word of God. That's important, okay? But I'm also going to say this. Having spent time in education and time as an instructor of both graduate and undergraduate students. And I've been, I've been in education, doing education stuff for a while, and I'm just going to tell you that all the books in the world, all the books in the world will not make someone wise if they reject wisdom. Okay? They will not make someone wise if they reject wisdom. You are called the same way that Peter and John are called to spread the truth. And let me just tell you, Regardless of how much education you have, if you speak the truth in love, but if you speak the truth, the most educated people in the world can't stand against you, which is what we see here. We see that these guys are marveling at the fact that these guys are so bold. Why are they so bold? They've been with Jesus, right? Let's see what these guys said about about Jesus, because they had questions about his education also. If we read in John chapter 7, Verses 14 through 17, it says this. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters, having never studied? Basically, how does this guy know the word so well when he's not one of us? He's not of our class of people who have gotten all this education. Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or or whether I speak on my own authority. So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm speaking the truth. I'm speaking the truth of God. If you knew the truth, you would know it doesn't matter whether I am a man of letters or not. It just matters whether what I'm saying is true. So they come up to Jesus. Jesus had just fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And they come up to him and said, that's quite a miracle. Can I see your diploma? Right? They want to know whether or not he's educated. But Jesus is God. Okay, he taught as God. He knew everything. He did not have to provide his credentials to them. He did not have to do so. And when they realized, it says, when they realized that Peter and John had been with Jesus, they're seeing the same thing. They're seeing the same thing in these guys. Unstudied, yet they know the truth, they know the word, and they speak in boldness and power, as Jesus always did. Because here's the thing Jesus changes people. He changes people. So if you spend time around Jesus, you're going to be changed. People are going to notice, hey, 
It doesn't seem like you should be able to live like that, act like that, talk like that, have that kind of boldness, whatever it may be. It doesn't seem like based on your background, you should be able to do that. But because you've been with Jesus, you've been changed. And these guys noticed what, what these guys acted like. Who did they act like? They acted like Jesus. And that's what we should want to do. That's why we spend time in God's word. That's why we spend time in prayer. We spend time getting to know Jesus so that we too can act like Jesus and be like Jesus, just like Peter and John were, okay? So education's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. You should get some, but listen, speak the truth, learn the truth of God's word. Let the Holy Spirit speak through you and you can't go wrong and they'll have nothing to say to you. All right, let's look at verse 14. It says, And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. So we remember this man, he had been lame since birth. He couldn't walk. He couldn't walk. They'd, they'd carry him and lay him by this gate so he could beg for alms. He couldn't walk at all. But it says, They see him standing with them. Now, these guys certainly knew who this guy was. These guys are in the temple. This is Sanhedrin. They're in the temple all the time. They would have walked by this guy who knows how many countless times they knew that he could not stand. So as they see him standing there, they recognize that he'd been with Jesus. Now, I don't know whether or not this guy, why he was there with them in the Sanhedrin at this point. I don't know whether he was taken to jail with them that night, it does say that as they were preaching to the people before they were taken to jail, that that guy was holding on to them, that he was keeping himself so close to them. So it's possible that they rounded them all up and put him in jail. I don't know. What I do know that if that's not true, then the power of Jesus and this guy's joy in being healed brought him there to the Sanhedrin the next day as evidence for these guys, right? Exhibit A, boom, I'm walking, right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, by standing here, he's saying all that needs to be said. All that needs to be said. And they could not speak against it. They could not speak against it. So um, I think that that's very interesting, and we're going to come back to this point later. But the evidence, according to these 71 guys, is irrefutable. It's irrefutable. So let's look at verse 15. But when they had commanded them to go outside the council, they conferred among themselves. Okay, so these guys say, go on outside. Now, there's a couple interesting things here. The first one is that Peter and John, in the story, what we had is we had them talking. We haven't had anybody else talk yet. We've just, the, Luke is just telling us what the Sanhedrin is recognizing and thinking. And then we have them say immediately after they talk, go on outside. What we see is that they have no argument. They make no, no, no uh, effort at all towards an argument against what Peter and John had said. But remember what they'd said. They said, Jesus is the Messiah. You crucified him. He's the cornerstone that you rejected, and he's the only way to heaven. Okay? All of these things they didn't agree with, and yet they could not say anything against them. They did not say anything against them. They mounted no defense. No defense at all. They said, go on outside. It reminds me of like, you know, my kid or something, I'm trying to teach him something like, you know, listen, uh, Ethan, that's my son, Ethan, I, I really think that you should not use bad language. And then he says something to me like, well, what was that thing you said the other day when that guy cut you off on the road? <laughs> and I'm like, go outside the room, mom, I, mom and I need to talk. <laughs> Plus, I think that was mommy, not, not me. That's a, that's, I think you're remembering that wrong, right? But here's the thing, I got nothing to say, I'm caught, right? And so it's like, hey, go on outside. Go on outside and wait. Let, let the adults talk. That's what they've done here. They've said, head on outside the room. We're going to talk 
without you guys here because we can't say anything about what you've done. Okay, so um, another interesting point here I just want to bring up. The Sanhedrin, what's about to happen inside, we're going we're gonna to read about. But how does Luke, the author through the Holy Spirit of Acts, know what happened in the Sanhedrin after Peter and John were asked to leave? How does he know that? Well, of course, the Holy Spirit could have revealed to him what they were saying. But here's the thing. We know of at least two guys that were likely in the Sanhedrin that were followers of Christ. One is Nicodemus, and the other is Joseph of Arimathea. So... They, now, they would have just been two of 71, so if they wanted to stick up for Peter and John, they wouldn't have had much help, right? That's why we don't hear about anybody objecting here. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but when you've got 71 dudes and you're the only two saying something, trust me, I've been in the committee meeting with a lot less people than that, and a single voice is not getting very far if everybody else disagrees with it. So, but that's probably how we know. These guys probably told Luke. They, they, they know what happened because he told them. I, just, I think that's an interesting thing for us to take note of because one of the things that we talk about as we go through Acts is that Acts is about facts. It's a historical document, and it is incredibly detailed. Luke went to the trouble of going and investigating and saying, okay, so you went to Sanhedrin, they made you leave, and they came back, and this is what happened. Well, what happened in there? So he goes to that guy, and he asks him, and that's why we have this complete story here. Let's go to the next verse. Next verse, 416. Saying, this is what the guys in Sanhedrin are saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. They want to deny it, right? They don't like Jesus, I told you that. They don't like the name of Jesus. They want to deny it, but they're saying it's evident. The evidence is clear to all the people. We cannot deny it. So what are we going to do? We're stuck. We're stuck. Um, here's the thing about this miracle. It's very particular that this lame man is healed in the name of Jesus because the Messiah was supposed to do certain things. And this is evidence. You'll notice that what, what Peter and John were saying was one thing, but the evidence that was effective was the miracle that God performed. Now, if we look in Matthew chapter 11, we see John the Baptist sending a couple of his disciples to Jesus. And he wants to know, hey, are you the Messiah? Let's, let's see what it says. Matthew 11, 1 through 6. It says, Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. You know, as Jesus didn't say, Yes, I am. I'm the guy with no proof. He says, just tell him what you see and hear. And this is what he says. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Jesus showed that he was the Messiah by the kinds of works that he was doing. And John would have known, okay, the one who comes and does these things is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. So we have these guys in the Sanhedrin. They're kind of stuck up against something because the miracle is not just a miracle. It has something very notable about it. These guys know that Jesus was doing these kinds of miracles. And then Peter and John are saying, hey, Jesus is alive. You killed him, but he rose from the dead. And look, we're still seeing these kind of miracles that are being done in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, it's, it's important. I, I, I kind of want to drive this home, the level to which these guys are being what we'd call in the law, willfully blind or willfully ignorant. They can see what's happening in fact 
we know that they know the, the significance of what's going on. If we look back when Jesus was doing his ministry, Nicodemus, the guy that I just mentioned that was in the Sanhedrin that followed Christ eventually, he comes to him. Okay, He comes to Jesus at night, and this is what he says. This is John 3, 1 through 2. He says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Okay, so who's he talking about when he says we? Well, it would make sense if you read the text. It says we know, but who did it say we is? Well, it said who he was and who he was a part of, a ruler of the Jews. So he's saying me and these other guys, we know that you've come from God. How do we know? The evidence of the miracles and the signs that you've completed. They were aware of that. Some of them, at least secretly, whether they wanted to admit it or not, were aware of that because Nicodemus tells us right here when he goes to Jesus, and yet they still crucified him. They believed that he was from God, and yet they still crucified him. You need to think about what that means, what the significance of that is. And we'll, and again, we'll get back into that in just a minute. Let's go to the next uh, verse and see what the Sanhedrin does as they try to figure out what to do. So 17 and 18. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called to them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. So how do they react? Do these guys, now finally, Jesus has come. They, they knew that he was from God then. They crucified him anyway. Now there's all this mounting evidence that he's risen from the dead. And we see that there's still power in his name. People are being healed. Do these guys submit themselves to Christ? Do they decide to turn from their sin, repent for crucifying Jesus, and, and recognize him as the Messiah? No. That's not what they do. They don't, they're not looking to be saved. They're not looking to do the thing that the evidence says. Instead, they double down. After crucifying Jesus, now they double down on their sin and deny him again. Now they tell people, don't preach in the name of Jesus. Right? They're worried about what the people might do. They might start to follow Jesus. And if they're following Jesus, that means they're probably not going to be following them. But their whole thing is built up in who they are and what they want. And they want the people to follow them. So what do Peter and John do? Remember, remember that Jesus had commanded Peter and John. He had commissioned Peter and John with the rest of the disciples that they were to go and make disciples of all nations. To, to basically, he had commanded them to preach his name. So these guys are coming in saying, we're telling you, we're the leaders, we're the rulers, we're the authority, we're the big shots. Like I said, this was a serious deal. They're saying, don't preach in the name of Jesus. So what are Peter and John going to do? Let's look in verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So they basically say, no, no, we're not going to do what you've asked us to do. Now, this is very, very bold and very, very clever. It's a rhetorical question, right? There's no way for them to answer. It's like asking someone, hey, have you stopped picking your nose? Right? Because if they say yes, then you've admitted that you picked your nose. And if you say no, it's even worse, right? These guys have done the same thing to these guys. I know that's, that's gross, but it's what I got, okay? These are the jokes, folks. That's what I thought. I'm thinking about it. Everything else was even more offensive. Okay? So you got the G-rated version there. All right. So 
You ask, you ask them this question. If, you, if they say, listen to us, then they're saying, don't listen to God. Well, they can't say that. And if they say, listen to God, Peter and John are going to be like, okay, cool, peace. We're out. God's told us to do this. So they're in this difficult position. Now, Jesus did something similar. We see this in Luke chapter 21 through 8. And this is a, I, I love this story. It says, now it happened on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel that the chief priests and the scribes together with the elders confronted him. These same people, right? Same people. And spoke to him saying, tell us by what authority you are doing these things or who is he who gave you this authority? But he, that's Jesus, answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus was good, okay? Like, he would have made a great lawyer. I mean, he never would have been a lawyer, because he was good, right? But... He, he, he would have made a great one. He, he, he puts them in this position where they can't answer, right? And then we see, again, Peter and John doing the same thing, looking like Jesus, knowing just the right thing to say. As we, as we studied last week, the Holy Spirit was, was filling these men. They knew what to say because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, let's, let's, let's finish the passage up. We've got verses 21 and 22. It says, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So they further threatened them. They blustered like the parent who sits on the couch and tells their kids, keeps yelling at the kids, but the kids know they're never going to get up, right? They have no power. They can't do anything because the people all have seen this miracle. And the evidence is so clear, and they know that it's from God, that they can't then go do something bad to these guys who were the, who were the person who the miracle was done through. So they're stuck. They're stuck. They say, go on. Go on home. The Sanhedrin was flustered. These 71 men that ruled the nation of Israel, okay, the smartest guys on the block, the smartest guys in the room, at least in their minds, had nothing that they could do against the evidence of God. The evidence of God is all around us today, too. He's still doing miraculous things in the lives of those who trust in Him. And if you'd like more of God in your own life, we'd love to help. Come see us at Acts Church this Sunday morning. Meet Pastor David and enjoy the great family of folks here who love Jesus and each other. Need easy directions and all the info you need at actschurchnw.org or call 360-885-9000. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out the next episode for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.